If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first, but I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So Link in the show notes is going to take you to Offer First. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to Offer First directly. And Offer First is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. Today I'm joined by Dr. Matt Lane, who is the owner of Aberly Veterinary Medicine in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which 
Shout out to Murfreesboro. We've had two guests from the great city that is Murfreesboro. Aberly exists to help people plan around life with their pets from start to finish and to adjust to life as the world happens throughout pet ownership, which I love. And we're going to dig into some of that. Matt has seen a ton of stuff throughout his career. We're going to go through some of that as well. And I was almost interrupting him and giving him the timeout as we were before I hit record because I was like, whoa, 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 we got to save that for the recording. And we'll dig into all that. But Matt, thank you so much for joining me. And this is something I've been looking forward to. I got butterflies. You may not be able to see them. I've never done this before. And I'm super excited. And coming from a fan side of things, thanks for having me on. That is my favorite thing is to have people that have not been on a podcast before. Because I'm guilty of within the Bitcoin space, which will shock no one. I listen to lots of podcasts and lots of content. And there are certain people that anytime they're on a podcast, they're just so good. I'm like, I have to listen to them. Even though I've heard everything they say, Maybe there's one or two new things, but I just always lean that way. But then I try to find who haven't I ever heard? I've never heard of this person. I should listen to it. And there are times where it's like, oh my gosh, that was so interesting and profound how they look at the world. I want to make sure within veterinary medicine, there's so many great people and so many interesting stories that are still left to be told. And so I love having someone that's never been on a podcast. And so you'll do great. We're not, well, hopefully we're not worried. Up too bad. Yeah. We're not worried about it. So you talked about before we clicked record that you've done it all. And then your wife was like, hey, you got one more shot, right? So let's kind of walk through that since this is the first podcast episode and no one knows that story. You kind of go through why vet med and then kind of up to, to where you're at today. Okay. I'll give the abridged version so you don't turn this into a three and a half set a hour record. Joe it's all right, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated from the University of Tennessee in 2009. Midway through that, thought I was going to do nothing but like beef cattle and working dogs. And I figured out that niche does not exist, Isaiah. You're either doing beef cattle or you're doing dogs. It's kind of hard to do that. Anyway, saw the light on that. Knew I wanted to be a general practitioner. Love seeing an eye one appointment and then a broken leg the next and then a wellness and then get licked in the face by a puppy the next and all the relationships that come with that. So knew I wanted to be a GP, took a job right out, did my time, if you will, of working every Saturday and being on call every other weekend. Don't miss those days, but learned a lot. Cut my teeth in Nashville at a wonderful practice that honestly got my toes wet as far as buying. And then just, I'm about 35 miles southeast of Nashville and just wasn't ready to live there. So kind of broke away, joined my uncle's practice with he and three other partners. Great practice, been around since the 60s. And the intention was and always has been at that practice to the senior most partner will retire and sell his or her portion to the next person. And so about that time, as you're well aware, private equity started rolling up a lot of practices. The guys got an offer that they would have been silly to turn down, which took me out of the equation. So I kind of had to find some things, if you will, to do in about 2017. So I non-compete. I was at the time in the veterinary reserves. As a veterinarian, doing that, enjoyed that a ton. Another thing that brought me where I am today. And then so did some house call stuff. Worked a little bit for a large pharmaceutical company that everyone would know. Lived to tell about it. Quite frankly, came away from it more emboldened to prescribe medications that help my patients. And all the while, just kind of wondering what it would be like. So did relief for about 14 other practices, great practices, and kind of cherry-picked from them things I liked, people I liked, ideas I liked, and flows that everybody had, as well as the stuff I wanted to stay the heck away from, right? And then amidst all of that, so getting back to my wife, I looked up and said, man, I want to see about this certified financial planner thing. 
And I really feel like real financial planners like you guys are veterinarians for your money, right? There's so many weird parallels between what a CFP is doing with real planning and what a veterinarian is doing with a person's dog. It sounds crazy and I won't delve into it too much, but I took the coursework and I'm not afraid to admit on this podcast that I failed the exam. Hardest exam ever, dude. I don't know how you guys do that thing. So I don't Meredith know how you can say folks. it's that hard. I mean, we got four years with your vet school, for- man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you give me a little bit too much credit. Yeah, we got four years to practice for boards and stuff. And maybe I tried to mush it in too much, but anyway, I got. I did. I will say, I got halfway through the the curriculum with the CFP program. I said, A, I'm concerned that I don't have enough experience for someone to walk over to me with their life savings and me to make appropriate decisions with it at this point. And B, I was like, man, I'm already a good planner for pets. And so Aberly kind of started forming in my head. I had all these great ideas from the military and all my stops. And we formed this boutique practice for lack of a better term one year ago tomorrow. So we're going strong. That's kind of the me did everything kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. And then you mentioned that you were inspired by someone I would guess most of the audience wouldn't know, but is more well-known in the financial planning space in that his name's Carl Richards. You want to explain kind of why Carl had an impact and what that impact looked like and how that's kind of, you've taken that idea from a financial planning perspective back into veterinary medicine. Sure. Yeah. Great point. How does that, like, how do you marry those two? In a way, Carl distills down what planning's all about and you guys can do so much with your I don't want to use too much jargon stuff for veterinarians because you like look at it. Why would someone start talking about IBD and IBS or IVDD and things like that? And Isaiah's going to go, I don't have time for that. Well, time value of money for us is, <laughs> is like, oh, foreign, right? And you can do all that stuff and Roth IRAs and mark to market, all those things you guys have to work with and deal with. But bottom line, Carl kind of distills down, what does it matter to the person? What are they trying to achieve and how can I help them get there? And to me, it's the same thing with a pet. Do I know this person? Do I know the pet? Do I understand where they're trying to get with this so that I can better facilitate the endpoint for them that is just solid, meaningful longevity in their pet's life, right? Just like what you're trying to do as a CFP is to make us road tested for when we quit saving theoretically at 65 or whatever. It's time to live for the next 30, right? So just trying to do that kind of thing. And so, so Carl has a really, really, really incredible gift of simplifying things down to where they're easily understandable. And it, like it hits home, like this is the essence about what this is about, because I can talk about doses and different drug classes and antibiotic options on a culture and stuff like that. But really what the owner wants to know is how are you going to help my pet get to the next day or the next week? So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I love that. And Carl, one of his big things that he's talked about is like this one page financial plan because people will get a financial plan and old days just big like leather bound thing. And it's like, here's your 80 pages and it's already stale by the time it, the meeting happens or whatever. And I think that world exists still, but not that much. But the idea of a one page plan is like, okay, all the key indicators, think of like the KPI. So in your PIM system, all the things that are telling you like, hey, business is going well, we're doing this, we're doing this well. Like that one page is that same idea for your financial life, right? And so it's just trying to distill that down. And I think it would be interesting in veterinary medicine, and maybe this is something that's kicked around in your head or someone should do it, but giving pet owners their one page, like here's what it is and here's all the easy stuff 
for them to understand and it's digestible versus the lingo and the jargon because I'm the first one to raise my hand. I don't know what that means. I don't know what a lot of that means and it's not meaningful to me. Yeah. So full disclosure, Isaiah and I did not talk about this before we got going, but I do that. So every pet cool. gets their that. own one page financial or one page life plan. So the practice, I mean, I went all in with it, I guess. And the practice is actually called Aberley Veterinary Life Planning. And so the essence of it is to make sure that the pet owner knows that I'm on the same page or if I am, I put it out there and they're like, no, 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 no. Fluffy's 15 and he's lived a good life. You've got it wrong at this point. I want to know that I've got it wrong. But yeah, bottom line, we reevaluate with our, what we call our life planners, which are a group of what you would consider clients in your firm. I consider patients in mind that I'm hoping to build a community of like-minded pet owners that we really dive in and have a plan for every dog and cat every year. And so I write those up, deliver them to their door when they join up with us. And so far we've got 90 of those folks. And so pretty excited, hoping to get to about 400. Cool. I was going to ask, what's the reception? I mean, it's been a year. It's different. That's not, if I'm a person with their dog that's had, you know, vet experience, I'm going to come to you and be like, Dr. Lane, this is kind of weird. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a little different and you're trying to be different by design. It Has the reception been strong? Has there been people that said, hey, this is too weird. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go somewhere else. And you're like, cool, that's great. Because you can kind of self-select for who's going to come to you. That's probably the toughest part that I'll turn it to get into me soapboxes while we're here to get together today. But trying to be everything for everyone, I think, is what's burning the GPs out these days, to be quite frank. And so planning your flag as a startup, as being different and thus no offense to anyone, if they don't match up, if we're not a fit, for lack of a better term, it's on me to kind of to tell them it's very, very difficult and it, it's, there's no judgment or anything like that. But I am grateful for the fact that there are other practices out there that aren't like me so that I can be who I am for those that do appreciate it. And so the reception's been to me, man, I couldn't be happier. Anytime you've got kind of a little, this little thing that you made, you want to see it seem to do well. And we had a goal of a hundred at year one. So tomorrow, unless we get 10 people that walk through the front door, which you can't see right behind there. In the next hour, honestly, we're probably not going to get to our goal, but we got close. Some people look at it. People tend to sign up or sign on, for lack of a better term. Some people are familiar with a quote-unquote wellness plan. We, we do like to distance ourselves from that. It's a pay-as-you-go monthly, no contract. I want to earn it every month. But we have pillars and things that we do to try to keep your pet well and be in our group. It's largely been, quite frankly, super humbled. Most people either know me already. <laughs> They're like, yep, Matt, whatever you say, you know, that kind of thing. Or they're familiar with something like that. Or then you have you, you get talking with some people. We've got some one-pagers trying to be like Carl, right? No, one-pagers that kind of try to simply break down like what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I love that. Do you give the kind of expectation of care and set that before someone comes in the, into the door with your marketing or your website? Or how have you tried to make sure the fit is as good as possible? Because obviously your time is going to be valuable. And early on, you just want people to come in the door, but you're going to get busier and busier. And it's hard to tell people to go somewhere else when they want to give you money, but they're not the right fit. Yeah, that's a pretty solid observation. I guess my thing would be right now, I've got the time. So no one, if any of my friends, Dr. Garrett, Michael Shirley, any of these guys that hear me talking on this, potentially they're going to go, oh yeah, he's slow. I'm not a fast veterinarian. So that I'm coping with. But to that end, we try to, the hardest part, I think, especially listening to some of your marketing episodes in the past have been like the, this big concept of going to where your people are, where your target audience or clientele or whatever you want to call it 
And that's the hardest thing about veterinary life planning is that it doesn't seem to have a demographic, right? There are people in really nice neighborhoods in Murfreesboro that on the street or in the neighborhood, I got six of them and three of them are in the life planning program and three of them are, and they probably have the same income level and that's fine. As well as there's people that you don't ever want to make that assumption that they're, ah, they won't do it, that you're pleasantly surprised like, oh yeah, super cool. So we have an alternative to the life planning program. So I don't want it to make it out, Isaiah, that I'm like saying, yep, you're in here or you're out kind of thing. But my hope is to build it to a point where it is the vast majority of my, of my day so I can be there for those folks. So we send a welcome letter out to anyone that makes an appointment. We are always willing to have a no commitment type, kind of like a, a meet and greet like you guys do in the CFP world. Like say, Hey, see if you're, come see if you're fit. Right. Like if we're jiving and it seems cool, you're getting your questions answered, then come on. And then the other way that we do things is if your pet's sick, we got the space right now. So come in. We'll be happy to see you. Take care of you. Love on you. And if we're, you're picking up what we're putting down, then stay. And if not, we at least try to get your pet on the right track. But we're going to follow up and be like, do you want us to be your vet? This is what it looks like. I love that. And it does make sense. If you are going to be kind of a me too offering, you're going to go to market a little bit differently. But if you're going to structurally build something different and talk to a different audience, you want to do it that way. And I mean, at the point of this release, people have heard, hey, I left Vincere, all these different things. But when I look back at what I wanted to do there and as a CFP saying, hey, I'm going to put my flag in the ground and say, I want to work with veterinarians. I had a handful of people early on that told me that was the dumbest thing in the world. Why would you ever do that? And I can look back and say, hey, that actually was a really good decision and it made for some really cool experiences and being able to work with amazing people and have friendships and relationships that will last, you know, significantly longer, which is cool. And so I imagine it's the same way, right? It's just a different way of operating. You don't have to have the same business models, every other veterinarian. And I think that's the part going back to, we talked about with burnout. It's important to say like, a, what are we solving for? And what ultimately gives me what I want? You were able to do that with some of the relief work, which I think is interesting when you talked about, was that 13 different 14. In Nashville? 14. 14 in the mid-state, yeah. What were the things, because Cindy Trice in the podcast has talked about, hey, using relief work to find maybe your fit long-term or do exactly what you did. Any lessons learned, suggestions, thoughts? Because I know relief is the thing that people are really liking right now, the flexibility. What were the biggest benefits? What were the drawbacks for you? The first one's easy. I worked in virtually every demographic you can think of from very well-to-do all the way to essentially a shop clinic. Right. Every single location had a subset of people that are what I did not realize is what I was looking for. Meaning it gave me a lesson on this isn't about a demographic. It's about what's in between here as the pet owner. Do they have the philosophy of, hey, doc, I trust you. I want you to do this, how you would do it with your own pet. And that gave me the courage to say, I should be telling people what I do with my own pets so that they know and I can try to foster that within a smaller community. So everywhere I went, no matter what the demographic was, no matter what the ACT was at the practice, at least someone was in there going, look, man, I'm here because I'm sitting in front of you. You went to vet school and I trust you. And that's never lost on me. So that's huge. And then have the courage to charge what you're worth when it comes to relief. Now, granted, I couldn't pay me to do relief. <laughs> <laughs> like if we, if we reverse these roles, I'd be like, well, I'm out. But nonetheless, actually a CBT gave me the courage. Shout out to Todd. 
who said, dude, you are not charging enough. I charge this as a relief CVT. What are you doing? And I was going, what am I doing? <laughs> Can I ask real quick what the difference percentage-wise would be from an increase from that conversation with Todd? Do you want numbers? I don't care. If you want to share, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you're willing to share, that's great. And I think it helps, but I'm just trying to think naturally what someone listening, driving in their car is going to be wondering yeah, I went based up on that 40, comment. I went up 40%. Wow. I was thinking more like 15 or 20, and that's still a considerable yeah. jump. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I think my profession, myself being the proud flag waver, suffers from, it's just little old me. Am I going to be good enough? And by God, you are, right? And it's hard for me, and I have to tell myself that every day. But bottom line is, you're A, not very common as a veterinarian. B, you have a skill set that no matter what, any disgruntled pet owner tells you or any kind of review online or whatever says like you have something to offer there. And when it comes to being able to help a practice run smoothly from a relief standpoint, show up, answer the phone, work hard and you'll have more work than you, than you'll ever be able to do. I I had no trouble and I was turning down work and yes, it morphed into a lot of part-time jobs, but it was up to me whether I wanted to keep doing those or not. I set a minimum and honestly, Isaiah, if somebody's not telling you no, you're probably not, you're probably too cheap. I think that's true for relief. That's true if you're a practice owner. That's true for lots of things in life. So was the negative that it was felt like a lot of part-time jobs and it was just balance, balance, balance all the time or? Yeah, man. I figured it out that I just wasn't fulfilled from a relationship standpoint. And I realized everybody's different and God bless those emergency vets out there because the last thing you need me doing is triaging you're truly like you're hit by a car with like an open chest wound. I'll get us by, but it ain't going to be pretty. The people that go, this needs to go here and they, and they delegate, they do really quick and all that kind of stuff. God love them. But I value knowing the person and really diving in, which a lot of people seem to back away from so that I can know the pet better to better advocate for it. And I just felt like I was more along the lines of like a, Yep, I'm here to like get you through, get up, get through that appointment, get you gone. And Dr. Susie will be back in a couple of weeks and she'll be able to take care of it, which is fine. It just wasn't what was fulfilling for Matt. Yeah. And I think that's super important. And that's, again, going back to why do I love working with Invet Med and being involved is there's a lot of people out there that it's not always about what is the bottom line. There's an amount that you need to make, right? I'm sure your wife, you had some conversations about finances at times, right? Like any couple. And to go to a significant other and say, you know what, I'm making really good money and I want to make a lot less, but I'll be way happier. I've had that conversation more than once in my marriage. And I'm sure you have as well. And there's lots of people that come to those decisions where it's not all about money. And there are things that are bigger than that. And going back to sustainability and the burnout in veterinary medicine, you have to find something that does give you that, which is super, super important. And it's easy to say, hard to do. I know really really, really good veterinarians and they know who, when I send this link, they'll know who I'm talking to in this world that are making really good money and they're having a hard time sometimes. That breaks my heart because I know that they are a net positive to pets' lives. Hands down, they run circles around me as a vet. But I know that they have to keep on keeping on because there's no alternative to it right now. And I'm not saying I know how to fix it. But man, it's hard to watch good people do good work, make a ton of money and watch them be just exasperated. Yeah, because 
everything that we were taught, right? Is you do all that stuff and you're in those places. That is the crescendo of a career right there. That is amazing. That is what you want. That's what you're told is success. And you're like, this doesn't feel like it. What's wrong? Is there something wrong with me? And then that, that's where it kind of goes from there. And that's a bad spot to be for sure. Yeah. Amen to that. What's something else with the thought process of building the team? So you talked about relief. You were able to see a lot of different things. How did you go about trying to find and build the team at Aberley? <laughs> Might disappoint you with this one. No, I've got definitely got my philosophy. Our team is three right now and we're fine. One is my unbelievable assistant, Madeline. And one is my mother who I pulled out of retirement to, I don't know what the appropriate term is, like what, what everybody's using these days, but she runs the front desk and she's the smiling face that you see when you open the front door. So she didn't know anything about vet med. She's a year in and she's doing much better every day. But so I am personally of the, at least these days, belief that if we, if we, the whole like hire slowly, go quickly, if you will, kind of thing. It's not like I have a bunch of people to choose from right now anyway, because everybody justifiably is scarce and probably doing quite well. Madeline and I have the same, we say have common values with complementary skills. So we are constantly trying to implement a nidus of values that are not negotiable. And we don't have them written on a board. They're not up on some plaque like Moses and the commandments on the walls or anything like that, but we know what they are. And maybe one day I'll have to really, really, really dictate those out. But complementary skills. If Madeline was here by herself, she'd have a tough time running this show. If I was here without Madeline, oh boy, it'd be bad news bears, right? We use Pat Lincioni, if anybody's ever heard of him, he runs the table group. He's a consultant and he and his company try to, their mission is to kind of help people find fulfillment in work. And so taking the working genius platform and using it to fill in our team with those complementary skills is the way that we're going to build this thing. Madeline and I work a lot and we are happy to, and we work hard and we're not just willing to let someone that maybe is right off the street or whatever necessarily be a part yet, just because we need experience to be able to, because if you work for me, I'm going to put you right there in front because I'm proud of you and proud of the things you do. And I can say that without a doubt with Madeline, as far as that goes. So that's kind of where we are from a team building standpoint. I envision this thing being maybe a two, maybe three doctor one, one day type of thing with at most 10 or so support staff. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. What's a non-consensus view that you hold that a lot of your DVM peers would be like? That doesn't oh, make a lot of sense. Boy, I'm trying to get you in trouble now. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll say an easy, fun one. You can absolutely have a veterinary practice where you do not do nail trims. We do not do nail trims here. And everybody told me, what? You're going to let go of that revenue? That's $25. That's $40 every time somebody comes in. I don't think anything pushes you away from your patients more especially that's elective than an awake nail trim. That's number one, which if you're putting the patient first, that's what should matter. And number two is I got me and I got Madeline. My mom's not holding dogs. If one of us gets hurt, no $25 nail trim is worth that. I need to be here to place catheters to hospitalize a patient, to do surgery for Madeline to work on scaling and polishing teeth. We don't need, so we will gladly do the world's greatest nail trim you've ever seen under sedation, but you do not have to run a practice that trims nails. Oh boy, here we go. I'll see if I can get myself in trouble. 
while I am concerned about the overall input of corporatization or consolidation of my profession, I couldn't be more grateful for those folks because it gives me a chance to shine who I am because I have a very, very, very tough time believing that they can scale what I'm doing. And when you don't found your practice with the goal of growing it up to try to get 18 times EBITDA and sail off into the sunset, then that doesn't really have to matter to you, right? So I may be leaving tons of money on the table, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't the purpose of this to begin with. So again, while I'm concerned about the direction it's taking our profession, I couldn't be happier because I get to really show what we're made of here. And I don't think you'll find better care. If you can improve the health of an animal, you'd do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Well, there's something to the idea of, hey, let's go play a different game, first and foremost, and also doing things that don't scale crazy well. There's the saying, there's riches and niches, all this other stuff, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be the dollars and cents that follow, but it's like, if you're doing something different, I walk through the door, I'm going to feel that, I'm going to know that. And I think that even if someone doesn't adhere to maybe the same structure and build the same thing that you're doing, but just in general, if I'm a startup, if I'm acquiring a practice, you can put your stamp of who you are and what you're about, that no corporate entity is going to be able to duplicate or replicate. And that is a strength and people should lean into that. So I totally agree Amen. with you. When I founded this thing, like the end point was I was kind of struggling, right? Like the whole CFP thing and I've done all these different places. And my wife said, look, man, if you're going to do this, you get to do one more time. And we have no choice now. We have a big old loan, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but point being is that I sat and said to myself, how can I shape this practice and optimize it for freedom? Freedom to practice the way I want to, but also some freedoms to be able to do some of the things that I want to. And what will allow, what structure will this allow me to do this for the next 20 or 25 years without going, Oh my God, I need to hire the next new grad so I can dump all my work and all my extra people on him or her so that they can work a ton of hours so that I can quote unquote scale back. I really just don't know that that mode was my intention ever. Right. And I don't know how comfortable I'd be with that in general. Not that there's anything wrong with it. There's more than one way to skin a cat in this world. So. Mm -hmm. What do you enjoy outside of veterinary medicine that helps you kind of stay at your best kind of equilibrium? Are there things that you're doing outside of vet med that are good for the soul, the heart, the mind? Yeah. Not to be cliche, but there's no better thing in my life than when I pull up in the driveway and open the front door. And I got a young nine-year-old son and a, and a loving wife that are happy to see me every day. So none of this would be possible without them. And three doodles. Yes, I have doodles. Three doodles that run up at the door like I'm not the same guy that I was every single other day. So 
that's first and foremost, because without those two, the bumps that we are running into that are inevitable, right? They bump a lot harder about that. Can't imagine doing this as a single guy. I opened this practice on 30, when I was 39. I know a lot of people open their practices at age 27, 28, 29. I can't imagine doing that, man. Kudos to those people. But to answer your question a little bit less woo-woo and a little bit more like, what do I like to do? I have not given up, man, on personal finance and investments and achieving financial independence. I do not listen to veterinary podcasts besides yours outside of work. I listen to Howard Marks. I listen to Carl Richards. I listen to Michael Kitsis. I listen to the compound guys. It's all I do. And I love it. It's fun. And maybe I'll do it as, on the side one day. There you go. So I have to ask, right? What are your thoughts there? We don't have to go into okay. a huge diatribe, but give me your thoughts. Well, you're kind of stealing a little bit of my, with my question for you, but I'll oh, give okay. you a little Sorry. bit of a, okay. <laughs> so I appreciate, especially if people go back, who was your episode? Was it with, uh, oh my gosh, the awesome, the track guy from Tulane. It's been two years. It may have been COVID that you oh, did. Oh, Tyrone Ross. With Tyrone, Tyrone, yeah. Tyrone. Sorry, yeah. I couldn't think of Tyrone's name. You and Tyrone breaking kind of down what I should be looking at as far as store of value and where it, I'm going to get out of my lane super fast. How we should look at it, I guess, is the big thing. I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of people is like, what am I supposed to do with this? So my personal feelings are Bitcoin or nothing. I'm really anxious to what know what you think about like a spot ETF. Is that going to help us? Is that just another tool or is that a thing? And then I bought every week on Swan all the way down to 15000 And then when I opened the practice last year, I did pause it because I did not feel as though it was money that I could afford to lose at this point. But I stayed. I haven't sold anything. But it's got to have a place, right? We've got to be able to unharness money for people. And that's kind of my, before I get too out of my lane, that's kind of how I feel about it. Love it. Remind me to chat self-cussy after we quit recording to see if there's any questions there and I might have some thoughts for you. But I don't want to steal your thunder on a question, but is the ETF question, is that what you want to ask or do you want me to reply to that here? No, you can reply to it. That was not it. Yeah. So the ETF question. So for those that are listening that are like, okay, Isaiah, Matt, financial jargon, ETF exchange traded funds. So what it would mean is in your Schwab, TD, Fidelity, Vanguard account, you can just click buy, right? You don't have to go anywhere else. It's really easy. It sits nicely with all the other kind of traditional investments. Ultimately, I have some issues with 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 BlackRock, first and foremost. So I'll, I'll put that out there. But whether it's BlackRock, whether it's Fidelity, whether it's any other name, insert your favorite company, an ETF with Bitcoin, it's kind of unnecessary, right? It makes it easier for what I will call like the baby boomers that don't want to do anything differently. But ultimately, you want to own Bitcoin spot, which is Bitcoin directly. And you want to take self-custody of that. And you want to hold the keys to your money. Because the idea of counterparty risk is still real. So counterparty risk meaning I'm trusting someone else to do the right things. And if they make a mistake, poof, right? Bad things happen versus taking personal responsibility. And that's one of the really cool things with Bitcoin is you can actually hold your own money and not have to trust anyone else with doing that. Now, that's intimidating as hell to some people. And for other people, that's empowering. I think it is empowering and it's not that hard. And I've seen a couple of people and, and some of them I know on Twitter that are big ETF people that are claiming this is the big story. And they always put crypto and again, Bitcoin crypto very different. The ETF is going to be the thing and it will make the price of Bitcoin probably appreciate. Bitcoin's going to appreciate without an ETF. It'll be fine. It'll allow more people to own it, but it's going to be an IOU ultimately. And we've had a world of IOUs for a long time. And I think that's kind of 
partially what's gotten us into problems. And Bitcoin ultimately is going to solve some things, but it's not going to solve it if you own an ETF. But there's some really good resources if people want them. Maybe I'll throw them in the show notes if you really want to dive down the ETF and why it doesn't make a lot of sense. The best example I had was, think about a bike, back tire, normal tire, front tire is a square. That's putting Bitcoin in an ETF. You can still pedal, but it doesn't quite work the same. It doesn't make a whole... If I put a rocket on the back of a buggy, is that really improving things? So it's kind of taking this really game-changing, interesting thing, but then you're going to put old technology on it. It's a strange thing. So that's the way I would look at it. You don't need okay. the ETF. Well done. But yes, the other thing I will say, the best thing to do outside of stacking sats or buying some Bitcoin or saving into Bitcoin is taking the bet on yourself, which is what you did. And you kind of mentioned that. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. You should go invest in yourself. And that is ultimate return on investment. And sometimes that's going to be something you can't measure. But I really, really believe in that. I mean, I've personally done that for quite a while. So what else is on your heart or mind that maybe we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we get on before we move into your questions that I'm trying to get out of you before then? <laughs> oh, man, I want anyone and all of us veterinarians may have a tough time like getting out of our your bubble, which is being a veterinarian, which is what you're trying to do. But when it comes to ownership, I look around and I don't see any new practices that are privately owned or locally and individually owned going up. And I kind of wondering like, what am I doing wrong? But at the same time, I can't think of a better time to start your own practice. Right. And the reason I say that is if, and kudos to the people that have no desire to own their own practice, do not begrudge them at all. Quite frankly, hopefully one day I'll have some of them that want to work with me. Right. I think that would be great. And I can't wait to help them have fulfillment in their job as well. But if you want to, Isaiah, show me a profession and we'll throw CFP. I know people debate about whether it's a profession or not. I would say yes, especially after that dang test. But show me a profession, something that you are trained in that has more, if you value autonomy and doing things the way you would like to or know is the way to do than the veterinarian. And I say that with, quite frankly, sometimes it's spooky, but lack of regulation that there is, right? We're not having to do all the stuff you guys are doing from a standpoint of, oh my gosh, disclosure, ADV, whatever, forms and all this kind of stuff. Lawyers, we don't have near the mounds of paperwork. We're not, for the most part, dealing with insurance the way that my cousin who's a dentist, man, trying to watching a dentist try to get off of insurance, holy mama, what a big step, right? He's got a practice that's been around for 14 years. Watching my physician friends and counterparts struggle through how confined they are to see a certain number of patients in a certain amount of time and still be fulfilled. It's whew. whereas in vet med, you have the choice of what you want to do. And if your choice is hinged upon autonomy, then I see nothing better. I have a tough time coming up with anything that allows the amount of me being able to put my stamp on. For me, it's phenomenal care, right? What can a general dentist do that he's not, he or she's not bound by some sort of regulation that allows them to say, Hey man, I'm the best you're going to find. I think that's awesome. And it's something that took me too long to appreciate. So there's that for all the people out there wondering if they should own or not. Get ready to trade off, right? I work five days a week from 7.30 to five o'clock. For some people, that's a ton. I don't work weekends. I don't take overnight call, but I educate my pet owners on when to go and when not to. But the days of me getting to work three days a week, 
poor and have that midweek day off with a Saturday thrown in there are gone. That's fine. I'll live. If I was still doing this 20, 25 years from now, I was planning on still being happy and fulfilled. But like, I've realized there's some trade-offs, right? Like, you're not going to make as much money. Man, the emails I get from headhunters on what numbers are looking like. I'm like, God, God, what am I doing? I'll be interested to see how the shortage is solved. If there's going to be a true number shortage, which I'll listen to the debate on both sides, but if there's going to be, then we've got to empower these well-deserving LVTs and CBTs that are looking into these kind of almost like nurse practitioner type roles to where it can expand what I can do on my watch or whatever, just like the human model, right? I don't know what the laws, the unintended consequences are there, but we got to do something. Yeah, love it. And on the autonomy piece, I think a lot of people will be like, yeah, no way. I feel like I'm ball and chain attached to this thing, but I tend to agree with you. But again, I've never done it. So it's easy to say that if you've never done it, right? So that's an interesting take and I like it. I would encourage people to kind of noodle on that a little bit. Yeah. Dude, you can walk out of graduation the next, the Monday, a chicken vet, a dog vet, a horse vet, a zoo vet, a pharmaceutical sales vet. If you get in the right place and you need some experience or whatever, you can join the army. The world is your oyster, right? And then, but then on top of that, the way you practice is largely up to you too, if you find the right spot. Yeah. All right. I'm here for questions. You have some. Let's, let's roll into them. This is especially easier now for you, I think, that your time with Vincere is over because I think it takes away any sort of keep you from answering a certain way. I know there's tons of debate about the way a financial planner is paid. For those of us like veterinarians that don't necessarily understand it, tell me the best way and defend it. Because for those of listening, there's financial advisors that get paid on commission. They sell you something. There's financial advisors that get paid by the hour. They get paid based on how much of your money they manage. And it's really opaque for us on the outside to understand. And I know there are pros and cons to all of it, but defend your spot. Yeah. So this is interesting. And so when I first left Merrill and started my own thing, I did it on a net worth model, which I like that idea of, hey, building and growing net worth like that ultimately is the only thing that matters. It gets really tricky when the federal government just prints a ton of money and your home value goes up astronomically and you don't do a damn thing. Right. So that's a little tricky. I think there's pros and cons to that. I think you maybe cap things or look at it. Ultimately, what I will say, and I'll continue to go through it, but if I'm going to do a quick version is you just need to understand what is the total pay? Because I've heard people that are like, oh, I don't manage any assets and I'm so much better. I'm holier than thou than these other advisors that charge AUM, but their minimum fee is $15,000 a year. Well, damn, if the other guy's going to do a really good job and maybe they're going to pay 4,500 and this other person is 12 or 15K minimum, they might be doing different things and that's okay. But it's not that one person is better than the other. They're still charging money. No one's doing it for free. So figure out what it is that they're doing. And I think the term financial advisor is too broad. If you're selling like insurance products and you're calling yourself financial advisor and you work at insert a company that sponsors the Rose Bowl all the time. No, that's not a financial advisor. That is a product salesperson. And that's okay, but know what they do, know what they are. And you're going to buy whole life insurance because that's the best thing since sliced bread. A financial advisor should be someone that is ultimately paid. It's going to be either something like a financial planning fee which you're starting to see more of like a flat fee from that standpoint. I think hourly is tough. I think hourly can be beneficial, but I think it's tough to do financial planning and be an hourly arrangement. I don't think it's a controversial take, but there are people that think that that's the right model. 
it's hard because you get in and you start asking questions and then the scope of that project can change. How do you cap that scope? And so for some people, they just want to talk about one specific thing. Great. Okay. You talk about a couple of things. I was like, well, you could have a whole year of like financial planning for what you're going to end up paying for that. And is that better? Is that worse? I don't know. So if I had to design the best way, in my opinion, right? And I have no stake because again, I'm out of this. I would tell you to me, it is going to be some semblance of flat fee, maybe all flat fee or flat fee and something that is significantly less AUM model than like the 1% or whatever. Because if someone is going to manage assets on AUM, first and foremost, if they're just going to buy index funds and buy stocks and bonds, then you don't need to pay AUM. I don't think that's really adding value. If they're doing something different and they're actually good, and I think good is, well, Isaiah, tell me how good and how do you measure that? And it's tricky because you only have what's happened, the time you start paying them and what they're doing from there on out versus, hey, historically, the rationale and the reasoning behind what they're doing makes a ton of sense. But maybe the window of time is not as great for whatever they're doing. But I think I don't hate the idea of AUM because it does align if they're doing something. If they're just sitting there and buying a mutual fund or an index fund and doing nothing year after year and you're paying for that, I think that's stupid. If they're trying to go over and above and do something different and there's a justification and they can explain and show you how and why, great. But if they're just going to do the index fund and tell you just to save into something, then it should be flat fee. One of my things is with Bitcoin, it's like that should not be an AUM billable asset because it is buy and hold and learn from that. So that should fit into a flat planning fee type of arrangement. But ultimately, what are you paying? What are you getting? And what is your time worth? That's what I would always ask if I'm a veterinarian or if I'm a a person that is looking at hiring someone. What is your time worth? And then does this person help get me back time? Because that is the only thing scarcer than Bitcoin is our time, right? So am I getting time back? Are they helping me? And there's going to be semblance of just taking the leap because you're never going to know for sure you can get a good vibe check and you can be like, they're pretty smart. They come highly recommended from other people. Yeah, do all that. And I think that's helpful, but I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's perfect. A lot of rambling. (laughs) No, that's good. So my patients don't have assets to manage, so I don't have to worry about AUM. I would venture that veterinarians need financial planning more than just about anybody because when our debt to income ratio pops out, it tends to be not so hot, right? And so on your net worth model, you know, you could still look to someone like Isaiah and be like, well, eh, he's got a million dollar assets management minimum. So, well, I'm out of his league. I guess I'll wait until I have a million dollars for him to manage that. That doesn't help anybody. So it's still feasible for somebody like you. What should we as especially new grads, but maybe even on into being seasoned, when you're trying to find, where would you point someone to look for a a real planner. You guys are hard to find real planners like Carl talks about. Well, I mean, that was the goal of the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network or VFAN. So that's always a place that I would point people to. I think going to a fee-only network helps. So fee-only meaning that the compensation is basically what you pay them. There's no kind of extra hidden stuff behind the scenes. If they do certain things, there's no commissionable stuff. That Those would be kind of two areas. I would just ask peers there are some good people in this space. I think there's more that are coming because veterinary medicine, I think, is getting a little bit more attention just with the rise of private equity and other stuff. There's veterinarians that are exiting that were making really good money and seeing life-changing stuff. And so all of a sudden, there's interest there, which is the interest always good interest? I don't know. It's people just chasing dollar signs, which sometimes is a little frustrating. But ultimately, yeah, I would look for, hey, do they have a CFP? Are they fee-only? 
And then have they worked with veterinarians before? And if you do that, that's great. My favorite question to ask an advisor is what I ask you. What's a non-consensus view that you hold that maybe other planners don't agree with or would think you're kind of crazy, which mine's super easy because it's always been Bitcoin because most people would say that that's super irresponsible and it's speculation. And so I can explain why, hey, I think this is different and why you should pay attention. So that's always been my easy answer to that question, but I love that question. Okay, I love it. That's, that helps out a lot. I mean, anytime a distributor or a salesperson or whatever is in front of me, the number one thing I want to hear people say is like, tell me a legitimate reason why I wouldn't work with you or why I shouldn't buy what you're selling. Because again, to be everything for everyone is just simply not possible. So if you can't say, hey, look, your debt is here. I can try to point you in the right direction, but you're just not ready yet. And we'll, we'll get there. This person may help you in the meantime. You've got to be able to be comfortable enough to say that. And to your point about what are you comfortable with about as far as your what you're paying, same thing works with us, right? You can work at a vaccine clinic. And you can go through and see 20 an hour. Or you can see three an hour and be more boutique, if you will, or one, two an hour or whatever. It all has to come out in the wash, right? We don't get a lot of business training, but you figure out very quickly. You got to charge more. Yeah, yeah, you have to, or you just simply won't be around. There's a, an episode about what's your cost per minute to do business, I think, is back in the early days. I think Tony Billing was the one that did that one. And then Jason Coffins, he was great both times you had him on. But, so people can go back and learn. If you're thinking about uh, Isaiah's what, what podcast is really a kind of a treasure trove of like getting nuggets and ideas as far as what to do, what not to do, met my accountant through his podcast. So <laughs> it's awesome. It's one of those I things love that. where... People should definitely go in and look into those early days at least. Yeah. So my Bitcoin question, when thinking about Bitcoin, do I need to think of it as a tool in my retirement? I view it as I'm trying to build my net worth as diversified as I can. Whenever I think about Bitcoin, the volatility in something that's viewed as something that I'm supposed to be relying upon for retirement makes my stomach go, what do you tell people? When you see it go from, what did it peak at in 21? So 68 to 15. Yeah. So I watched it go all the way down to 15 and I was over here going like my little small amount per week. I was like, I'm buying more every, every week, right? What's your advice to people when you see it fluctuate like that? Because I was new to it. And as an OG, looking back at- Oh, I'm not an OG. <laughs> okay. Well, a lot more than I got. What do you tell people when you're like, I know you're viewing this as part of your retirement and it appears to be an important part, but like when it does this and that, just, hey, it's buy and hold, so roll. Yeah. So volatility cuts both ways. So when Bitcoin in 2020, I can remember crashed around Thanksgiving time and then crashed. It went, I think, from like 16 to like 10, which was, it's pretty, when you think about a percentage move, pretty big. But then literally after that marched up for, I don't know, two months, $1,000 every day. I was like, holy smokes. I was just telling my wife, oh my gosh, look at this. This is crazy. It's like on Christmas, it hits 25K. The next day is 26. Next day is 27. We're at our in-laws. I'm like, this is insane. Like what's going on? It was all-time high every single day. No complaints on volatility there, right? Bitcoin historically has a four-year cycle. And so there's a four-year cycle. And I think this is important for people to understand. And I can add some links in the show notes that really do a great job at a deeper dive if you want to read it. But I'll give you the kind of the too long, didn't read the TLDR, which is, hey, Bitcoin's supply issuance. So the only way that new Bitcoin get issued is by the rewards that miners get as they broadcast transactions. So the system basically has been bootstrapped from the beginning. The only way for new Bitcoin to be issued is from the mining. Well, every four years, that 
supply oceans gets cut in half. And so eventually it gets to that full 21 million, which is estimated to be 2140. So a long ways from now, about 92% of all Bitcoin that have ever been issued have been issued up to today as we're talking here in July. So what you see is demand for Bitcoin historically has grown annually. You continue to see it growing. So you have growing demand, but you have a shrinking supply. So Econ 101 would tell me if I have a fixed supply asset and I am seeing increase in demand, the only way to reflect that is in the price. Now, that's a very simplistic way to look at it. But over time, you see that. And so what typically happens is these four-year cycles go where you see, hey, there's a big run-up. There's then this kind of depths of despair. And then you see the, okay, it levels out and then it goes back through. And then you see the coinciding of the supply issuance cut, which is called the halving in that next run up. So the next halving cycle is in 2024, in April or May. And so typically what will happen is you'll see the Bitcoin price probably appreciate going into that. And so what's really interesting right now, as we talked about earlier, BlackRock getting the ETF approved will be a buyer of Bitcoin. Today, right now, people that own less than one Bitcoin are buying about, I think it's like 37% more than the Bitcoin that's being issued. And that's today. And so there's enough demand right now that's over and above the new Bitcoin that is being issued. So they're just eating away at that supply. And ultimately, there has to be a price that people will start to sell. So maybe they're like, oh, when I get back to 75K, I'm going to sell a Bitcoin and I'm going to go buy that really cool car. or I'm going to go on that awesome vacation. or I'm going to add an addition to the house. But there's other people that are like, I'm not selling Bitcoin until it's seven figures. And so if everyone's trying to get through the door, there's going to be a price that is had to be paid. And so... To me, the volatility piece is it's all about position sizing, which position sizing is how much do I own in accordance to everything else? Really good example. My, they'll never listen to this. So I'll use them as an example, which is funny. My wife's aunt and uncle getting close to retirement, told them to buy some Bitcoin. They bought some. It went down similar experience, right? So, I mean, this is maybe a quarter of a percent of everything they have. Tiny, tiny. And I get more questions on that thing, right? Than anything else that this guy owns. And it was so funny in those conversations of being like, hey, it's all about how much you have and you're going to continue to purchase a little bit. And ultimately that volatility will work itself out. But if you look over any four or five, six year period, there's nothing else that has given you better performance in Bitcoin from that standpoint. So it's all going to be predicated on when and how you bought it. And you either feel like you're a genius or a moron. And the ratio in Bitcoin is typically 10% I'm genius and like, oh my gosh, I should have bought so much more to 90%. Oh my gosh, what did I do? Pit in my stomach, this sucks. But as you get more comfortable and you learn more of why you actually own it, then you start to become more comfortable. And so you talked about earlier, like store value in these different stages of Bitcoin. Every asset that goes through a monetization cycle goes from collectible to store value, medium of exchange, unit of account. So medium of exchange would be, hey, I'm coming in to get my dog looked at and I'm going to pay you in Bitcoin because that's what you asked for. You're in the great state of Tennessee. Nashville is basically like the second hub of Bitcoin and Bitcoin Park is in Nashville. So there's a huge outlay of Bitcoiners in Nashville. So you're in a Bitcoin friendly state. There's a lot of Bitcoin mining in Tennessee. You could probably say, hey, we'll accept Bitcoin for services and attract a new demographic and audience. We can chat on that offline if you want. From a marketing perspective, that could be interesting. And then from a business owner perspective, if you can have an asset that you can hold and own and it reduces the merchant servicing fees, which is a whole other benefit, but it accrues in value, all of a sudden that big loan that you talked about, well, dollars keep getting printed to infinitum. So that loan gets less and less impacted. But this other asset grows and grows and grows. Maybe you just pay off that loan and allow you to have more free cash flow or you just hold it into the future. That's pretty impressive and a pretty powerful thing that can happen. But the way that I would tell you to and tell anyone to look at it is if you're not willing to own Bitcoin for at least four or five years, don't buy it. 
if you need the money really soon, it's probably not a good idea. I think the ideal situation, especially for someone young, five of these student loan payments that are out 20, 25 years, the single best thing that I can do is buy a little bit of Bitcoin consistently for the next five, six, seven, 10 years. That tax bomb that's coming down the road, if it ever comes, because maybe the federal government just forgives it all and away we go. Why not just buy Bitcoin? Because it's going to give you the most bang for your buck and that loan will be paid off super fast on the tax bomb. Don't refinance the loan. This is non-financial advice on this podcast. Don't pay off the loan. Put it in one of the 20 or 25 year repayment plans and buy Bitcoin and let that grow into the future. I think it's the perfect asset for solving that issue for, for veterinarians. Yeah, if you look at like all the fancy ratios within financial advice, I'll send you a link to it. But there's a, so Swan Bitcoin put out a Nakamoto portfolio tool and you can compare all these different asset classes like a 60-40, so 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And if you added a one or five or 10 or 15 or 20% allocation to Bitcoin, what would it do to the performance? And it's pretty incredible that a 5% allocation to Bitcoin going back to 2014, 2015 adds literally no extra risk and about two and a half times your returns. And it's like, that's pretty wild if you rebalance annually or if you rebalance quarterly. And so like, if you look at this as part of something versus the only thing we zoom in on, it makes a material impact, but you have to let it do its thing. And sometimes that's really hard. So that's huge tangent, but yeah, that's super. Thanks for that. And you have your little slice of something that there's not going to be more made of. If you buy Apple stock or Amazon, they can always issue more shares. They can always dilute your ownership. And that's the one thing with Bitcoin is it's dilution free, or you at least know exactly how much you're going to be diluted. So right now the issuance is 1.75 and that continues to fall. So your dilution rate, it is going to be the hardest asset in the world. So gold issuance is, you know, every year there's about one to 2% more issuance of gold and gold's held its value for since Roman times, right? If you had an ounce of gold, great. Bitcoin is going to achieve that to be even more scarce than gold come 2024. So yeah, interesting. Very. Where can people find you to connect if they have questions? Where do you share your thoughts outside of this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not as good at blogging as I should be for the website. Now, my veterinary life planners, I try to stay in contact with them. So every month I'm writing to them. Always want them to know. I want them to know my thoughts on prescribing versus not, you know, the risk versus the reward of doing nothing right on things. So I write to them every month, kind of active on social. I go, my brothers would say like, man, you go through fits and starts of this, but it's all me. Right. So Aberly vet on Instagram is where we, we have a good time and we make fun of things that are funny and, and cry about stuff that, that sucks about vet med and things like that. And then vetlifeplanning.com is kind of our, is my website for the practice that use some work. We're working on it. So it tells who we are and, and what we're about and what we're shooting for. But they can call the, if anybody, especially I'm an open book to anybody that's an aspiring veterinarian that thinks that they want to become a veterinarian and learn the ins and outs of it, the highs and the lows. I think it's ultimately a net positive profession. It's got its warts and I'm happy to talk about it. They can look me up on the website. The, the phone number's right there Give me a call. They'll probably talk to my mom. <laughs> I love it. So give me a message and we'll, we'll chat all they want. Yeah. Thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts. And hopefully it wasn't too painful for a first podcast, but really appreciate your time. I'm not going to raise my arms because I've probably got some pretty good pit stains, <laughs> but I can't say thank you enough for what you're doing. And thank you for having me for what you've done for me. You really don't know. I know we've just met here recently, but 
you really don't know what you've done for me in my practice and helping make Everly what it is just by all the various ideas and nuggets that I've gotten off of the podcast over the years. So thank you. I appreciate that. It means a ton. But yeah, excited for this. And when I'm down your way, we'll have to try to connect. So buy a beer. It. Sounds good. All right, brother. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour uh, ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.